If you have your uh, Bibles, turn to Luke uh, chapter 11. We are in our series, Spoken, which is all about how God reveals himself through story. And it's in these stories that, we, that are all throughout the Bible that give us incredible insight into who God is and, and what his character is like. And today we're going to look at uh, actually a couple of par- parables that are very, very similar um, and, and, again, find, find out more about what God is like. Um, and I know that there are a large number of you who, um, who may have heard parables taught as sort of moralistic fables, right? They're like stories that tell you how to live your life, what to do, what not to do. And while there is some of that going on, there is so much more going on. There's a much deeper level to the parables. There's just like this, this mystery that uncovers the nature of God and who he is and his character. And it's just so rich. And, and I just want to make sure that you guys don't miss that as we go through these stories. Um, now, there is a scene recorded in uh, the, book of, or the Gospel of Luke where Jesus' disciples ask him, they say, teach us how to pray. And it's in that moment that Jesus teaches them the Lord's Prayer. And, um, he, and so he goes through that, and we all know what that prayer is like. But, but at the end of that, we often don't include the rest of the context, because right at the end of the Lord's Prayer, he continues teaching them with this parable that we're going to look at first here in Luke 11. So, so Jesus teaches the Lord's Prayer and immediately goes into this parable, which is part of teaching them how to pray. And so this is a story about prayer. And just to sort of set up where we're headed, let me ask you guys a question. How many of you, when you get on an airplane and the, the airplane is getting ready to leave the gate and the stewardess is standing up giving the pre-flight instructions... How many of you pay attention to those instructions? Okay, looks like about half of you. Um, I, know, I know that there, um, that there are some of you who just fly so much, you've probably got to memorize. You probably do a better job. Um, but as a communicator, whenever I'm on an airplane and I see them doing that, I always try to pay attention because I know what it's like to stand before a group of people who aren't paying attention. Not that you guys are that way. But... <laughs> I also know that there are uh, those who listen to pre-flight instructions and those who don't, right? So for those who don't pay attention to, to pre-flight instructions, I believe that, that you know that what they're saying is good and true and helpful, right, and important. But I, I think you also think that it's probably unnecessary, right? And I get that because out of all the times that I've flown, never have I seen an airplane oxygen mask except in the pre-flight instructions. Never has that thing dropped out of the ceiling and I have to put it on and breathe normally. That's never happened. Um, so while I, while I think that what they're saying is valuable, I'm also banking that it's unnecessary, right? And I think we all do, do the same. And that sort of sets up what, what we're talking about today because I know that for some of you, prayer is like a spiritual oxygen mask. Like, you know it's true, and it's good, and it's valuable, and you could do it if you had to, but if you look at how you live your life on a daily basis, it's, you treat it as kind of unnecessary. 
Like it's there for you if there's an emergency, but it's not something you really practice on a day-to-day basis. But if you take Jesus seriously, you begin to understand that prayer is like oxygen, not an oxygen mask. Prayer is something that is almost like breathing, right? It's just this constant communion with God. But if we're honest with ourselves, most of us have to admit that our prayer life isn't where we want it to be, right? And I admit it is so much easier to teach on prayer than to actually pray. And and many of you think that it's just a self-discipline issue, like the reason you don't pray more is the same reason you don't work out more. You just need to be more disciplined. But I think it's deeper than that. I I think it's much deeper than just a discipline issue. I also think that we have a lot of questions concerning the topic of prayer. And these questions will sometimes become a hindrance to us actually praying. Questions like, what should I pray about? Right? Like, like you have been taught that you should pray in accordance with God's will. And so you have a whole list of things over here that you know fall under that category of God's will. But then you have a whole other list of things over here that, that you're not sure if they fit in God's will, and you don't even be sure if you should even pray about them. Or you wonder if you're praying correctly. Like, is there a right right way to pray and a wrong way to pray? Or um, you wonder if, if prayer is so great, then why does it feel like an obligation? Or, or you wonder if God really hears you. And if he does hear you, does he answer your prayers? Um, you wonder sometimes... Um, why you pray and pray and pray and nothing happens. But then other times you forget to pray and it happens, right? And, 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 and so you're like, does it really matter if I even pray, right? Is, is God just going to do what God's going to do? And then that leads us to, to wonder how many things can we actually attribute to God answering our prayers or is it just life, Right? But I think all of these questions can sort of be addressed with this one statement. That most of our problems with prayer are due to our misconceptions about God. And I think that's where most of this shakes out, right? That I think if we understood God better, we would pray a lot more. And I think we would enjoy it a lot more. Um, so as we move forward this morning, the, the very first thing I want you guys to do is just relax, okay? Take a deep breath. I'm not here to guilt you guys or make you feel embarrassed about your prayer life, okay? That is not the point. I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on you or pressure you to pray more. That is not the point, right? We talked um, in our last series. I mean, how many of you really feel like prayer is an obligation, Oh, okay, that's good. Just a few of you. Um, if that's you and, and you feel like your prayer, you're trying to get God's attention or earn God's favor, earn God's love, go back and listen to our last series where we talked about the, the temple model um, because you're stuck in, in the old model, right? And, and you, no amount of prayer is going to make God love you more and it's going to make God more pleased with you, Okay. It's all what Jesus did, not about you, okay? So, 
Um, but again, I just want you to relax. And I just want to go through this parable. Because um, I think this parable and, and even the other one can sort of open your eyes to the character of God and why he invites us to approach him in, in prayer. All right, so Luke 11, uh, beginning with verse 5. This is, again, right after he teaches them the Lord's Prayer. He said, and it says, Then he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine is on a journey and has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. So it's kind of a funny little story where this guy has a friend drop on him, drop in on him at midnight. And what you have to understand about the Jewish, some of the social obligations of the Jewish culture, is that if someone drops in on you, you better have some food for him, right? There were no... Taco Bells that stayed open late at this time. There were no quick trips that you could stop at on your journey to get one of those nasty taquitos or whatever they are. Um, so if someone's been traveling and they stop at your house, they're going to be hungry, right? Um, but the guy who has the friend drop in on him, he doesn't have any food. And again, they don't have refrigerators and pantries like we do, stocked full of food. Um, you know, if you made food, it didn't last very long. They didn't have all the preservatives we have. And so if you made a bunch of food, it might last a day or two, but he's caught him on the bad day, right? The food's gone. So he goes to his neighbor's house and, and he realizes that, that it's late. He realizes the door's bolted shut, but he starts knocking on the door and the neighbor calls out from his bedroom. What do you want? He's like, I need some bread. I have somebody show up. I need some bread. And they were like, go away, man. It's late, and the kids are in bed. And, and if you have kids, and if you've gotten them to sleep, you know how protective you are to keep those kids asleep, right? You, they're, they're asleep. For, there's a reason you put them to bed. You need some peace. But, but in the story, the guy doesn't take no for an answer. He just keeps knocking. And so finally, a neighbor gets up and gives him what, his need, what he needs, not because of his friendship with him, but because he knows that's the only way he's going to get the guy to go, right? So it's an interesting story, and you have to be really careful about what observations um, you, you arrive at. But I want to address a few observations about us and prayer. And the first one is, necessity drives prayer. The host, out of necessity goes to his neighbor and starts knocking on the door. He has a need, and he realizes that he doesn't have the resources to meet that need. 
that is honestly the whole basis of prayer. If you can define the motive of prayer for everyone, it's the awareness of a need and the the awareness that you don't have the resources to meet that need. Now, if that's true, then what do you think the biggest enemy of of prayer would be? Self-sufficiency, right? It would be thinking you were able to meet that need on your own, right? Prayer reveals how much pride you have in your soul. Remember the story about um, the story Jesus told about the Pharisee and the tax collector who were both praying, and um, and and the Pharisee, the, the tax collector prayed one way, but the Pharisee prayed another way, and he was so full of pride, wasn't he? It says here in Luke 11, the Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. <laughs> God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. I mean, and then it compares how the tax collector would just like, have mercy on me, a sinner, right? I'm telling you, prayer more than anything reveals more about what you believe about God and what you believe about yourself, Um, right? Like, you can tell me all day long what you believe, but how you pray is going to tell me more about what you believe than anything you tell me. So why do so many of us stink at prayer? It's because we're pretty good at being prideful and self-sufficient, aren't we? And I think that's one of the biggest hurdles that we have in this country, in this land of abundance, right? We, we are so self-sufficient that we don't see our, our base need every single day, right? We wake up every day thinking, I got this. And we go out and, to conquer the world. But if we really understood our need, we'd be on our knees every morning before we got out the, went out the door. But as human beings... We are attracted to control, confidence, and competency. Right? Those are the things we want more of. And, but while we're drawn to those things, God is trying to build trust in him and dependence on him. I'm convinced that, that the reason God lets us go through so many things... It's because he's trying to build trust in, trying to build in us trust in him and dependence on him. Um, if you walk into any bookstore, you're going to be hard pressed to find any books that help you learn to trust God more and to be more dependent on him, unless the Bible's there, right? Um, but you will see tons of books with titles that play to your desire for control competency, and confidence. Let me show you some examples. You want to put the next slide up? The Art of Doing Twice the Work in Half the Time. How many wouldn't want to do that, right? Man, I just want to go buy that book just so I can figure out how to do that. Um, Next one. Negotiating with Giants. Get what you want against the odds, right? Sounds like fun. Rising to Power, The Journey of Exceptional Executives. I'm not even an executive, and I want to read that book. 
Um, the smartest kids in the world and how they got that way. Man, if you're a parent, you're going to want to read that book, right? So you can have the smartest kid in the world. Um, decide. Work smarter, reduce your stress, and lead by example. Absolutely. Hooked. How to build habit, habit-forming products. Man, I don't even build products, and I want to read that book. Maybe I can come up with some invention, and I don't have to worry about my future, right? Overworked and overwhelmed, the mindfulness alternative. Um, is, is that it? Is that the last one? Okay. All right, so, but see, these are all built around the idea of getting more, more control, more confidence, more competency, right? And the reason they title those books that way is because they know that's what you want, right? You're going to want to buy the book. Um, and that's fine. I'm not knocking those books at all. I'm sure there's, you know, value in all of them. What I am saying is that no matter how many books you read on parenting, you're going to find, you're going to get to a place as a parent where you're like, I am at a complete loss. I, I, I just don't have a clue how to respond in this situation. God, I desperately need your help. Regardless of how many books Vicki and I have read on marriage, and we've read a lot of them, there are times in our marriage where we're just stuck. And it's like, I love you and you love me, but I have no idea where we go from here. God, we desperately need your help here. See, no matter how hard you work at getting more control and more confidence and more competency, there will be moments in your life when you have a need and you don't have the resources to meet that need. And part of the reason we struggle with prayer is we spend so much of our life propping up our life with things that that convince us we have a lot more control than we really do. The driving force of prayer is this awareness of a need and the awareness that you don't have the resources to meet that need. And as self-sufficient as we are, if we really realize that everything we have, including our work, our our drive and our our ambition and our strengths and, and our talents and our gifts, they all come from him. And we are absolutely dependent on him every single day. And again, the enemy is always going to be this illusion that you have more control than you really do. And we love that, right? Because we love that feeling of control because it makes us feel like we're in power. makes us feel powerful. And then we kind of thrive on that. Um, so... Um, Necessity drives prayer. The second thing is that prayer actually changes things. When the guy goes over and kept knocking on the door, it changed things. Now, I'll admit that there are times in my life where um, I've bought into the lie that prayer doesn't really change things. And um, what's always behind that lie is the deception that you have the power to change things, right? Um, And we're like, so why would I waste my time praying? I'm just going to get after it and make things happen, right? But after Jesus tells this, this, the Jesus tells this parable to teach us that that prayer changes things. 
But not just any prayer, bold, persistent prayer changes things. And this shouldn't, you know, this shouldn't make sense to all of us, right? Because we respond to bold, persistent requests, don't we? When, when my kids were little and my attention was focused on this one thing over here and they were over here trying to draw my attention to them and they were saying daddy 50 million times, eventually what happened? They got my attention, right? They didn't give up until I finally got tired of hearing daddy or whatever. It's just like they got my attention. Um, if you ever, if, I mean, have you ever had your phone ring at 3 a.m. in the morning? 3 a.m.? I mean, you get that panic feeling like, oh, my gosh, what's wrong? Right? Because if your phone rings at 3 a.m., only two things are happening, right? Your friend is wasted or um, it's an emergency, right? And so because um, no one casually calls you at 3 a.m. But an important point of this parable is that the bold persistence reveals the importance of the request. The problem for, for some of us is that we pray for something at 10 a.m. And if we don't have the answer by 2 p.m., we're done. Right? Um, but think of it this way. How many of you as parents, if your kid ran up to you and said, said, Daddy or Mommy, I, can I have this? Or, you know, I need this. But then immediately their attention was drawn somewhere else and they ran off. And you're like... Apparently, they don't need that. How inclined are you going to be to go ahead and get it for them anyway? Probably not, right? Because you're like, I guess they didn't need it after all. So why would we think it's any different with us and God? Right? How many, I mean, because so many of us just like throw up a quick prayer and we don't, we don't even hang around for God to answer the, to, for God to come to the door, much less answer the prayer. Right? I mean, some of our prayer lives are like a game of ding-dong ditch with God. <laughs> Bold, persistent prayer changes things. Now, I want you to look at, at verse 9 real quick, because there's something here that kind of trips a lot of people up. Jesus says, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. So what does that mean? Does that mean that whatever I ask for, God's going to give it to me? No. That's not what that means at all. See, at the end of the day, I don't want God to give me what I want. I trust him to give me what I need. Now, some of you are like, ha, nice try, preacher, because that is not true at all. I want God to give me what I want. And I, you know, I understand that. that. That may be true for you. But honestly, it's a maturity issue. See, my kids were at the age where they thought the same way. They wanted me to give them what they wanted. Not necessarily what they needed. And that was okay because that was just where they were at in, in their season of life. Um, but the same was true for all of you. The same was true for me. Uh, I wanted my parents to give me everything I wanted, not necessarily what I needed. But now when I look back, I am so thankful that my parents didn't give me everything I wanted. Right? 
See, as much as we want our kids to realize how much wiser we are than them, even though they don't think that sometimes, we have to understand that God is infinitely wiser than we are. And, and I know that there are some things that you think you want, but God is infinitely wiser, and we have to trust him. And sometimes God answers our prayers by giving us what we would ask for if we knew what he knew. But you have to get to the place where you're like, okay, God, you are infinitely wiser. You know more about life. You know more about money. You know more about relationships. You know more about everything. So I'm just going to place my trust in you. See, the most amazing thing that happens through prayer is not what happens to my circumstances, but what happens to me. And I've seen it over and over and over and over again throughout the years, that when I earnestly seek God and wholeheartedly trust him, he accomplishes more in me than he ever did in my circumstances. In in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, Paul prays two prayers. And in the one that's in chapter 3, the second prayer, as he begins to wrap up the prayer, he says this, Now all glory to God, who is able, through his mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we could ask or think. Now notice, he did not say, all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work in our circumstances to accomplish infinitely more than we can ask or think. Right? He didn't say that. But that's how many of us have taken that verse. Especially if we live through the name and claim it part of the charismatic movement, right? I mean, I don't know how many times during that period I took this verse way out of context. Um... But he said, no, through his mighty power at work within us, is he able to accomplish infinitely more than we could ask or think. And then if you read the prayer prior to that statement, it's all internal stuff. Um, Verse 16, I pray that from his glorious and unlimited resources, and you would think he would go on to like providing our needs, right? No, that he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life that comes from the power of of God. There's not a single prayer for our circumstances there, is there? It's all this amazing stuff that he can do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think within us. I'm telling you, this is one of the most powerful prayers you can pray. And if you don't know what to pray, start praying this verse. Start praying this passage. Start praying this prayer every day and see what happens. 
So again, necessity drives prayer. Prayer really does change things. And God is good. And he is able and willing to answer your prayer. One of the things you have to be really careful about when you're interpreting parables is that you don't treat them like allegories. Okay, In an allegory, every element of the story is a comparative illustration to the real thing. Okay, A parable, on the other hand, is designed to communicate a central truth even though not all of the elements you can immediately compare to the real thing, right? In fact, many parables have contrasting elements of the story to help you understand the, the central truth. And this, this parable is a perfect example. See, if this were an allegory with all of the elements being an illustrative comparison of the, the real thing, then you would look at this story and think, is this what God is really like? That he's too busy or asleep and, and I need something, but God doesn't really want to bother with it. But if I bang on the door long enough, eventually God's going to give me what I want, not because he wants to give it to me, but because he just wants me to go away. No. This is not a comparison. It's a contrast. Notice how the story ends. And this is, again, part of the context Verse 11, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? How much more is God good if you know how to give good gifts to your kids? Right? This is the part of the story that reveals the character of God. Um, and I want to show you the other parable that I was referring to. Turn over to Luke 18. This is a very similar parable, and it's called the parable of, of the persistent widow. And in this parable, Luke even states the purpose for the parable before he begins. Luke 18, verse 1, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. Again, this is not a comparative a comparison. This is a contrast. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And then the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. See, he, he draws the comparison even there at the end. Or not the comparison, the contrast, right? This is not, these, a lot of these parables don't have comparative illustrations. They have contrasting illustrations, right? 
And again, the, ju- the unjust judge is a contrast to God, not a comparison. But if I could boil all of this down to just one sentence, it would be this. Prayer is the natural result of understanding our weakness and celebrating God's willingness to meet our needs. And I'll be honest with you. These parables do not answer all my questions about prayer. And to be really, really honest with you, I probably still have more questions about prayer than I have answers. Um, But at the end of the day, what these parables teach me is to trust God and depend on him. I have needs, but God is more than willing to meet those needs. The question is, will I trust him? Will you trust him? Listen to how Jesus closes out this second parable. Luke 18, 8. He says again, I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? That's an interesting question, isn't it? It almost seems out of place. But I think the reason we have more questions about prayer than we have answers is because the reason we have more questions about prayers than answers is because prayer requires faith. If we had all the answers, would faith be required? No. There would be no faith required at all. And remember what Hebrews 11.6 says about this issue of faith. Hebrews um, 11.6, And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Why? Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. That's a picture of prayer right there. That we believe he exists, so we go to him, and, and that if we earnestly seek him, we trust that he's going to reward us. So you can buy into the lie that you're in control, or you can trust him and fall to your knees each and every day. You can also buy into the lie that prayer doesn't change things. Or you can trust him enough with your life to give you what you need rather than just what you want and allow him access to do the real changing, which is inside of us. The choice is yours. But my hope is that when Jesus returns, he's going to find faith in all of you guys. Amen? Let's pray.